ahead. Spoilers ahead. Welcome to Famous Podcast, most sneakiest and villainous podcast for making talk about movies. Allow me to be introduce ourselves. I am your rotten host, Max Not Quite Good Enough, and with me is lovely assistant, Michaela Loose Morals. Hello. We will be fiendishly plotting to use podcasts to take over Branson, Missouri. Hey, you got to start somewhere. Now that my flawless impression has thoroughly bamboozled you, no, you didn't tune into the wrong podcast. I hope. <laughs> this is Max Mike Movies with the latest in our series, Drawn Apart. Again? We, again? <laughs> yep. I, I take a seven and a half. <laughs> where we yammer on about movies that blend live action and animated characters as part of the central plot. Today we're going with my choice, 2000s, the year 2000s, uh, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, followed by Bullwinkle's Corner, the movie, and Mr. Know-It-All, The Next Generation. Again? Again. But first, business. No. Oh. oh, business. Is that, is that is that a cue or do you want to do it? No, I'll I'm, I'll do it. Oh, fine. You, you, yep. Hey, you've done it the last 11, th- 11 times. Me, 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 me. You're going to you're going to find Bumpy's severed head in your bed someday. Bumpy, no. You killed Bumpy's mom. <laughs> Enough with the singing already. Ah. Uh, as always, you can find us at MaxMikeMovies.com, where you can see the entire back catalog of our our webisodes, podcasts, and so forth. Uh, you can find us on the social media at the Twitter and the Facebook under Max Mike Movies. You can also find us on Spotify, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast apps like Google Podcast or iTunes Podcast. And should you choose to, and should you accept this mission, you can always email us directly at us at MaxMikeMovies.com. That's us. But now here's something we hope you really like. Yes, I think so. Rise and shine, I can't even glow dimly. The Show. So this movie, yes, as I say, this is a, a, a blend of live action and animation based on the classic Bullwinkle show back in the very late 50s, early 60s. Excuse me, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky, for some reason, always got top billing. Well, the yeah. budget for this budget for the movie was seventy six million. The worldwide take was thirty five million. <laughs> uh, the director of this, of course, we all know Des McAniff. Ah, yes, yes, Des, Des McAniff. Yes, Junior. There's a reason you don't know who he is. He has a total of six, count them, six directing credits, including this one. And most of the others are uh, Shakespeare TV adaptations. Oh. Uh, his, his one notable... <laughs> really? Yeah, believe it or not. He did like The Tempest and As You Like It. And they're not, not the famous ones, but like BBC ones. And uh, the one thing he really is known for is he was the producer of The Iron Giant. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, Jay Ward is given a writing credit, but, well, he died 11 years before the movie was released. Eh, technicality. <laughs> yeah, these are his these are his characters. Uh, the film was originally in production in the early 90s, with, and originally Danny DeVito and Meryl Streep were set to play Boris and Natasha. I'm sorry, could you, could you go back a second? Yeah, think about that. Danny, Danny DeVito, DeVito 
and Meryl Streep. All right, so Danny DeVito, I can see just fine, but Meryl I, Streep? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Talk about punching below, punching down. Okay. Yeah, legal problems with copyright prevented it from being made until years later. Aw. Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. Now, the narrator is in this movie, there is a narrator, <laughs> yes. as there was in the show. This is a guy named Keith Scott, who is doing his best to do an impression of the late William Conrad, who was, was the original narrator of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Sometimes. Oh, really? There were others. Well, so you mostly hear William Conrad doing, I got to remember, was it, it wasn't Deadly Do-Right, it was... Maybe it was. He doesn't do it always, but it's sometimes it's him and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's yeah, okay. Bill Scott, but we'll get onto that. Keith Scott also plays the narrator in a couple of other Bullwinkle verse or Ward verse movies. Uh, he uses the same kind of narrator voice in both George of the Jungle and George of the Jungle Two. Yes, there was a George of the Jungle Two. There's a reason you don't remember that. I don't remember that. Yeah, I wonder if there's a reason. Hmm. There's a little tribute in the uh, in the movie itself to Jay at at one point when Bullwin- Rocky and Bullwinkle end up back at What's Amata You, and Boris and Natasha are in the infirmary. The infirmary is called the Jay Ward. <laughs> yep. There is some very odd humor along the way. The movie is set up. I'll talk about it in the plot. It's kind of like a road trip, a but a road movie. Sure. Yeah, and the businesses lining the highways have some rather odd names. Like there's the Lots of Room Motel, Pumper Up Gas Station, Beefy Buns Fast Food, and very briefly, and I had to, if I hadn't read this and I wasn't looking for it, I wouldn't have seen it. If you see it, you have to see it through the driver's window of a truck, Boob Mart. Yeah. B O O B space M A R T. Yep. I didn't realize you could just buy those. <laughs> Apparently. Cool. <laughs> uh, I should point out both Jason Alexander and Robert De Niro admitted in interviews they did this movie just for the money. Well, yeah. <laughs> they were also, for this production, they were not the first choices for Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, sorry, for Boris and Natasha. That was Joe Pesci. Okay. And Cher. (laughs) Yeah. Strangely, they both turned down the roles. Well, they were busy because they had that tour together. (laughs) Pesci and Cher. Yeah. That was a great show. Do you remember that from the 70s? Oh, oh, yeah. It was always fun when they'd snipe at each other. Yeah. Oh, you know, because he's so short. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. That that would have been a... Interesting interpretation. Wow. <laughs> this, uh, the the young Karen Sympathy. Yes, that's one of the characters' <laughs> names. Kara, Karen Sympathy. Yeah. She shows up don't, in a sort of flashback inner thing as, as the inner child of the FBI agent. The inner child is played by Julia McAniff. And if that name sounds familiar from the last 45 seconds, it's because that was the director's daughter. (gasps) Wow. That's right. I think Robert De Niro's daughter shows up too. This is the last film from the Rocky and Bullwinkle franchise and the last to be a live action movie until in 2014. Do you you remember what came out? Um, Yeah, there was an animated version of uh, Peabody and Sherman. There you go. That was the first one that was entirely computer animated for the franchise. 
Yeah, it had this weird daddy issue thing. Like, it got yeah. serious, and it was like... Uh, all about because he adopts Sherman. That's the whole twist of yeah. Gotta, only they make a, in the original cartoon. That's just sort of a given. In fact, in the first episode, uh, it takes about ten seconds. Yeah, but there's this whole trial about whether Peabody like should be a dog. Yeah, and yeah. So if a dog really, can adopt a human, it, it's kind of a downer, and it's like it really kind of is. Yeah. There are some inside jokes when Bull, Rocky and Bullwinkle arrive at Wasamata U. They're arriving with. These two fresh-faced <laughs> college boys named Martin and Lewis. Get yeah. it? Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin. They did a lot of road movies together. Yeah, except uh, it's really Keenan and Kel. <laughs> yes, it is. It's Keenan and Kel. Uh, was, that Nickel- was that Nickelodeon? I th- uh, don't quote me on that. I never saw it. Keenan Thompson, of course, is now best known for, I believe, being the longest surviving cast member on Saturday Night Live. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He's been there a long time. Well, good for him. Yep. Somebody has to. <laughs> uh, one of the They mentioned that the university has been live action since 1964 once the show went into reruns. Keenan then turns to Kel and says, that'll never happen to us, right? Kel responds, right. They wink at each other. And their show had just ended a month before the film's release and went into reruns shortly after. Aww. Yeah, this was uh, Universal's second live-action animated hybrid film to be rated PG after, and I don't know how this happened, Casper. <laughs> yeah. People dying? I don't I, I don't know. know. Yeah. PG? Yeah, it was PG. I, all I can figure oh, is, I don't know. It was Boob, Boob Mart. They, that pushed maybe, him over that, the wall. Maybe that was it. <laughs> I thought it was Boris and Natasha in the hot tub together. I guess they don't do Which, anything. We'll we'll talk to that, but that scene just squicked me out. You were not supposed to see Boris and Natasha in a hot tub together. Very clearly not supposed. Yeah, you know, it's not that you see anything, but it's clear they're supposed to be naked. Well, they don't get naked. Their clothing are part of them. We know that. <laughs> uh, June Foray, one of the surviving members of the Bullwinkle Show, uh, create who created the voice for Rocky, does Rocky's voice in the movie. She also recreated the voice of Natasha when Natasha's in in cartoon form and her sort of ubiquitous old woman voice from the old series as the voice of the narrator's mother. Mm. That's pretty much it. There's not all that much about this. Apparently, though, uh, Rene Russo, who plays the real-world version of Natasha, was really nervous meeting June Foray. She was just in awe of her, and she really didn't want to screw up the character and she asked June to do the little of the character for her and June was very very kindly obliged. Aww. I know, it was very nice. It is nice. Yeah. So we come to the plot. Here it comes. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to hear this. Yeah, yeah, seriously. This, for a friggin' cartoon movie, the plot is remarkably convoluted. The film takes place 35 years after the cancellation of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, which is a thing. They are aware that they were a TV show. The titular heroes are living easy off their residuals in the animated world of Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, although Rocky has lost his ability to fly for some reason, and Bullwinkle is concerned that the trees in the area have all been chopped down. At the same time, the Potsylvanian villains Boris Badenov, Natasha Fatal, and Fearless Leader upset at the fall of the of uh, the iron curtain literally literally it literally <laughs> falls on them now, there's an iron curtain and it says iron curtain on it and it falls on them yep and they 
tunnel their way to Hollywood, where they convince a mini mogul, whose name is mini mogul, played by Janine Garofalo, criminally underused, to sign a contract for Rocky and Bullwinkle's content, which somehow releases the villains into the real world because we are attached to the project. Where they turn into Jason Alexander, Rene Russo, and Robert freaking De Niro. <laughs> Robert De Niro plays fearless leader. Yes, he does. I and, didn't and, make that up. And he produces the movie. <laughs> he produces the movie. He is one of the producers of this movie. Naturally, Fearless Leader has a fiendish plan involving a TV network called RBTV. Really bad TV. Which unfortunately always calls back to me now from Tapeheads RVTV. <laughs> yep. To take over America. The FBI somehow gets wind of this and, <laughs> appa- and somehow takes it seriously <laughs> and dispatches Agent Karen Sympathy, played by, <laughs> played by tiny woman Piper Parabo, <laughs> to collect the only beings to repeatedly thwart Fearless Leader, Rocket J. Squirrel, and Bullwinkle J. Moose. After somehow dragging the, the the characters, the two animated characters, who for some reason remain animated, unlike the Potsylvanians, into the real world via uh, a giant lighthouse on the studio lot of phony pictures. Wait, what kind of lighthouse is it? It's a oh, green. it's a green lighthouse, as in the picture has been green lit. <laughs> Agent Sympathy, Rocky, and Bullwinkle embark on a wacky road trip across the country to reach RBTV Studios in New York before Fearless Leader can use his terrible TV shows to brainwash America into voting him into the White House. (laughs) Hijinks ensue, cameos cameo, but will our heroes reach New York in time? Seriously? You have to ask? It's Rocky and friggin' Bullwinkle. (sighs) Are you done? Uh, yeah, hang on, I gotta lie down. <laughs> the lowdown. All right, so yeah. let's let's start let's start back in the ni- late 1950s. Okay, let's talk about the original Rocky and Bullwinkle, if you will. For those who have not seen Rocky and Bullwinkle, Rocky and shame Bullwinkle, on you, shame on you. Rocky and Bullwinkle was made for about fifty dollars. Yes, uh, most was, was it ever in color? Oh, yeah. The, all it the, did the end up show, in color. Okay. The whole show's in color. No, no. It starts out in black and white. I nope. remember this. Nope. Oh, maybe maybe it's just your, I was on a black TV. TV. Yeah, your TV yeah. starts out in black and white. That is uh, true. No, I have all the series on, uh, oh, okay. on DVD, and they're all in color. Uh, they were. It was created by Jay Ward. Jay Ward did a bunch of different animated stuff. He's actually, uh, his production company did the first made-for-TV cartoon show, which was called Cre- uh, Crusader Rabbit in 1950. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, which was kind of the germ of Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's not nearly as funny. It doesn't work as well. The animation is, well, let's just say that they could have done a two-cell punch. Uh, <laughs> badly <laughs> yeah. automated man. Um, that ran for two years. Then, uh, and it was relatively successful. They did something like 145 episodes, something like that. And then the company that, that they were working for went belly up and somebody else snatched the rights away, and they did a color series in the late 50s. So Jay Ward went around and shopped what was originally something I think was called um, 
the Frostbite Falls Review or something like that. And it was the idea was that it would be, you know, a local show produced in nowhere, Minnesota, and it had certain characters in it, such as uh, Dudley Do-Right and Bullwinkle J. Moose, etc. And uh, they sold it as Rocky and Bullwinkle, and it ran for five years. And it is some of the most, if you hate puns, do not watch the show. Yeah, the show is one long string of puns, some of which are really clever. A lot of them are just, well, puns. Which is fine. But the writing on that show... Is great. It's brilliant. It's razor sharp. And it wasn't just for kids. There were a lot of jokes for adults. Not, I don't mean dirty jokes. I no. mean, well, things like... There's a fairly subtle thing they do at one point where they're after this mysterious whale called Maybe Dick. <laughs> Who is off of, what was it, San Clemente, California. And it becomes clearer that they're making fun of Richard Nixon. Yeah. Yes. Who was, uh, he was a pre- he was a vice president in the 50s. So he wasn't yeah. running yet. Yeah, he, although he yeah, did run yet. for office again. Yeah. They they would reference Shakespeare. Um, they broke the fourth wall. There's oh, actually, all the time. There was an episode where the narrator is talking about Boris and Natasha's plot. And Boris gets pissed off and rips him out. Out of the side and ties him up so that he can't tell Rocky and Bullwinkle. Um, the animation is exceedingly cheap. Um, oh, it was done, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was done in Mexico. Don't quote me on that. Um, mm-hmm. And as such, it's the the style of the time. There's, there's a very um, sort of cubist inspired style of the time but it's very minimal animation and there are times when things happen on screen that are not what the narrator is saying um but it was the backgrounds are very simplistic yeah but the show's a kick it takes them a little while to get going the first season is not as good as the rest but once they get going it's it's i don't know i think the show's hilarious i love the show uh it was one of those shows in the late 50s early 60s that college students were watching um believe it or not uh, huckleberry hound was a big show back then really Bear. yeah oh, kids would skip class to, to watch that um, uh. and those were prime time actually huckleberry hound and yogi bear were prime time but if you have not luckily there there seems to be i should say a um leniency on the uh, uh, rights when it comes to Rocky Bullwinkle. Because if you go onto YouTube, there's a bunch of shows you can just watch an hour's yeah. worth. And they're not necessarily all the connected episodes. Because they would do these long story arcs that would last like six or eight episodes with Rocky and Bullwinkle. And then they'd have Fractured Fairy Tales and Dudley Do-Right and yep, other stuff. Yep, and uh, Aesop and Son. Yeah, and they're they're really wonderful. And... If you've seen them and if you love them, it's one of those shows where it's like, geez, I wonder how they're going to translate that into current day. Because there's not only is this horrible puns and and mix of adult and, and kid humor, but there is an innocence about it, which we, you can't do anymore. Yeah, um, in the post-ironic world. I mean, this was, this was the year 2000. This is... This isn't the 50s or 60s anymore. Yeah. And I also like, do want to point out, Jay Ward was also really well known for doing absolutely brilliant uh, serial commercials. Yes, he did Captain Crunch. He, he did, did Quake and, and Quake. Quisp. Yep. Uh, and also the Quangaroo. Don't forget the, the Quangaroo. Uh, <laughs> I really would like to forget the Quangaroo and his orange-flavored cereal. I had it once. It was terrible. Uh, I, I imagine <laughs> it would be. Quisp and Quake were great, but yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway. So th- that's uh, the original show. Yes, the, the original show. The movie, now, the movie does try. Let's talk about that first. How no, does it... We can't hmm? talk about that first. 
Why not? Because we talked about Baki and Bullwinkle first, so this would be second. <laughs> the show is going to go on brief hiatus while I break quarantine, fly out to Michigan, and slap Mike silly! <laughs> What's that, Bumpy? <laughs> Kick him in the head? Yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> Bumpy, be nice. So. Bumpy. Uh, <laughs> all right, so go ahead with okay, your yes. second this thing. Is very, this is very different. First of all, Rocky and Bullwinkle, we start out, we see them as 2D animated characters, but when they enter the real world, they show up as 3D animated characters, right. which they point out, by the way. <laughs> there is, other things. Yeah, that is one thing I have. Yeah, I do want to talk about how one of the things they do have is there's that same level of breaking the fourth wall to a remarkably extreme extent. And there is a lot of talking to the camera. There's a lot of being very aware that they are cartoon characters. They they refer to themselves that way constantly. Right. Do you think it had any of the flavor of the old show? Yes. How so? Uh, I was going to try and save this for the end. Um, I think the writing is, quite honestly, as close as you're going to get. I really do. There, are, I can't save that. I can't say anything if I, I and and save things. Okay, for the end. okay, we'll save this for the end. Yeah, sorry, we'll, yeah. we'll go. Let's I'll go just back. Say briefly, yes, I okay. do think it had a flavor of the original. To bring in, then let's talk about something that's more of a theme that we were talking about with the other ones. What did you think of the how did the interaction between the animated and the live action characters work for you? In in uh, when it first showed up as three D, I was like, well, that's terrible. And later, not only did I get used to it, but it's like, well, look at these characters. What could you do with them? They were so flat. I mean, one of the points of design of the original Rocky and Bullwinkle show, again, I, I was just talking about them being sort of cubist inspired, which they were, um, is that they're in, it was impossible to render what they drew in 3D. It just was, they basically said, no, you're never going to do this. So they had to take something like that and do the best they can, and they made these 3D models, which are very simplistic, and kudos to them, they don't give Bullwinkle real fur texture. No, because they, that would have very, been... it's very clearly drawn. You can it's see the lines, lines on him. It's just like lines, like the original design. Yep, and the same they thing with don't Rocky. go for hyper-realism. They no. Look, they look, really, they do look like 3D versions of the characters. It's just like, I guess, made out of... I don't know, styrofoam or something. Something, um, yeah. That being said, the actors are looking where they're supposed to look. The shadows mm. are where they're supposed to be. Um, of the films that we've watched so far, I would say the interaction is probably the best that we've seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think when uh, Rocky is carrying Karen sympathy when he's flying, yep. uh, once you disregard how long his arms would have had to get, <laughs> because the proportions are all wrong, but they're very clever. If I was watching for it this time, you never see both his arms. No. He's always holding her in such a way because it would be physically impossible because he's like, what, a foot, two feet tall. Right. And he's carrying a technically full-grown woman. I'm sorry, Piper Parabo is, is very cute, but she's all, she looks like she weighs about 80 pounds soaking wet. But mm. uh, he's carrying her, and it looks okay. Or where Bullwinkle is fighting Potsylvanians and they're hanging from his <laughs> antlers, that looks good. Yeah. So that part, and they they were very smart. They keep it to a minimum. It's just Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle. That's yes. it. So, I think that's probably why they didn't, Why I mean, there's no reason for it in the story. And in fact, I think Bullwinkle asks that question, how come they're not animated? 
You know, yeah. how come Fearless Leader and Boris and Natasha are, are real? And no one can answer that. And you know what? That's okay. It is. It they, really is. <laughs> they at no point try to make anything make sense. No. Nope. They don't they don't go for any explanation. And it's not it's not like in Cool World where they're trying to work up reasons for stuff. No. All right, so let's get to that. The premise. So the yeah. premise of there being the animated and versus the real world and how they intermix. How would you say that works in this movie? They don't even try to explain it. Nope. It's just it's two different like states of reality. They don't even bother. At, you know, again, I'm okay with it because at its heart, Rocky and Bullwinkle is absurdist. It's not yeah. supposed to be real. No. It's and- supposed to be winking at the camera, winking at the audience. And it's just supposed to be frenetic and goofy. And my note for when it first pops up is that uh, very flimsy premise for mixing cartoon and real, but it also kind of works. Yeah. Uh, Some of the stuff is even more absurd than that. Later in the film, when uh, they get picked up by Keenan and Kel, or you know Lewis and Martin, Martin, yeah, um, Martin and Lewis are going back, going off to college, which is Wasamata U. Turns out Wasamata U changed from being an animated university. (laughs) a real one back after the show was canceled. And they make nothing out of that. It's a throwaway nope. <laughs> line. Nope. And it's also not in Minnesota, which we're just going to pretend didn't happen, but whatever. Because I, I assume what somebody is supposed to be in Minnesota. Everything's supposed to be in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, that's where Frostbite Falls is. That's so, where Jay Ward is from. He he was one of He's one of Minnesota's favorite sons. Yeah, so I, like Max, had... I had no problem with the premise because they didn't try to make anything out of it. They basically yep. said, uh animated real people okay let's go and that's it they don't they don't care now, at, at, hmm? having hmm? said that what do you think of the casting just about of, to bring that up too yep of the Potsylvanians. i mean because they're the only ones who are actually translated to real people well i want to start off with june foray and i want to start off with the other voice talent so june foray, okay at this point i want to think 2000 I think she's, if she's not 80 yet, she's damn close. She's, she, I think she is, yeah. Because she died when she was 99, only a few years ago. Yeah. Um. So she, her voice is not exactly as it was in the 60s. She does a great job. I, I buy Rocky when she's briefly Natasha. I buy Natasha, and of course she's doing the old lady great. Yep. Um, it's wonderful to hear June Foray back. Yeah. Keith, Keith Scott, who does a number of voices, including the narrator, um, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's the son of Bill Scott, who was the guy who originally did Bullwinkle. Huh? Um, no, uh. <laughs> it's not. He does three voices. He does the narrator, he does Bullwinkle, and I forget who the third voice he does. Uh, he does the, the cartoon versions of both Boris and Fearless Leader. That's right. I think he does great. Yeah, I think he could. I, it's clearly not Bullwinkle's voice. No, but, but it's, it's awfully close. It is. Same with the narrator. He does a great job with the narrator. The narrator sounds like the narrator. That really worked. And Fearless Leader, sure. I mean, Fearless Leader barely showed up in the cartoon. It was, he it was, was also, by the way, I would like I would like to point this out, that <laughs> in the in the Bullwinkle canon, the leader of Pennsylvania was not Fearless Leader initially. No, it's it true. was Mr. There Big. Was Mr. Big, which quite honestly was just one... Fearless Leader was better. He was a yeah. lot funnier. Uh, Mr. Big, his whole thing was he was re- even shorter than Boris. Right. So I uh, get it, Mr. Big, and he's very small. I think he only lasted the first season. Yeah. So the the uh, the voices for that side were really good. Now we get yeah. to the casting, and we're looking at... Yeah. Uh, all right, let's start with De Niro. He's fine. He's obviously having fun, um, which surprises me, because <laughs> I didn't know that Robert De Niro knew how to have fun. He's very, very serious, but... I- 
I gotta and, say, for mm-hmm. Jason Alexander and Rene Russo, they're kind of perfect. They really are. I thought that was the best <laughs> casting. Fearless Leader is kind of too odd-looking. I didn't think that they could do him. And De Niro, to be fair, doesn't really try to do the exact version of Fearless Leader. No. he's got. He, I mean, Fearless Leader had a German accent, first off, not a sort of generic Eastern European, somewhat Soviet bloc accent. Yeah. And De Niro goes more for that sort of generic Soviet bloc accent, and that works. Yeah. And he is obviously having fun. My God, he, there is a sequence at one point where, for no reason, all of the Potsylvanians start a dance number. Yes. Did, you, he, did you recognize the tune? Yes, that was Secret Agent Man. Yes, it was. And there's Robert De Niro dancing, <laughs> which I thought would rend the fabric of space and time. <laughs> And let's face it, he's not a great dancer, but he's throwing himself into it, and he's having fun. It's sort of like that first movie where we really saw Meryl Streep go, yeah, I'm just doing this for the jokes. And it was, what was that 3D film with Goldie Hawn um, and Bruce Willis? Uh, remember that one where the, with the um, in, the immortality formula? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, her and, and Meryl Streep and uh, Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis, yeah. And Bruce and, and Meryl Streep is playing it for laughs and we're like, wait, she's deadly. Isn't this Sophie's Choice? Isn't, uh, <laughs> no, she can be really cream. funny too. Yeah, mm. and you know, quite honestly, after that, I found Meryl Streep got to be a lot more interesting because I knew she was a great actor, but I didn't know that she could really stretch herself and was willing to have that much fun with herself and then since then like when we i i loved her in um julie and i oh yeah oh um yes julie julie and julia julia Julia, where she plays julia child and friggin nails it and she's hilarious um but uh, yeah so robert de niro having fun and you're like oh okay but jason alexander and Rene russo i was like okay this is going to be kind of embarrassing or they're just going to sort of you know, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm just gonna pause. Just gonna stop you here because I wanted to say one more thing about De Niro, and then I definitely <laughs> want to talk about them. There's one part that I find really awkward, and I know why they're doing it, but there's one point where he's actually making fun of his "Are you you talking to me?" speech from Taxi Driver. Right. He's on the phone with them, and he's going, "He can't write. Are you talking to me? You must be talking to me. I am the only one." He, and, I'm sorry, A, it didn't work. No. I didn't think it was funny. And B, it takes you right out of the movie. Yeah. that's and It was jarring, and I didn't like it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that last week, when, yeah. when you do referential humor that's time-based or whatever, and it's just, it's like, okay. And if you don't get it, you don't understand it. And if you do get it, and in this case, it's not funny, because everybody, I think, Max, I think you and I had that nightclub routine where we did it. Yeah, uh, I yeah. so. Because uh, I think they even did it on Star Trek Next Generation and Love Boat. Uh, <laughs> just, yeah, no. it, it, does, it doesn't work. It's unfortunate. But, yeah, but that's Alexander than, and, yes. and Rene Russo. Oh, my God. I love the, even Rene Russo got the walk down. Well, she she's got walks to be wearing like a, Natasha. She has to be wearing an iron lung, right? <laughs> I mean, the corset she's got is. Uh, I, there's one point where she actually bends over and picks something up. I'm like, I'm amazed you can do that. Seriously, and she, the way she holds, you know, has one hand on her hip all the time, exactly like the cartoon. The way she holds her hands in front of her when she walks, she got the physicality of Natasha perfectly. And so, Jason Alexander is Boris Badenov. 
He has the ridiculous cartoon movement. He has the facial expressions. The only thing I thought he didn't do, and that's a conscious choice and that's fine, he was quieter. Boris has this loud voice so he's always allow me to be introduced myself <laughs> and of course yeah and, and jay and alexander is quieter and it works it's a yeah. little more understated but he's still perfectly cartoonish i i was uh, amazed at how good they were um because i really expected you know hey this is a throwaway role neither of them is going to be using this to get their oscar winning performance <laughs> or to do an art house film yeah, he, or whatever and kudos to both of them, because I don't, I don't know if either of them or both of them were fans of the show, and maybe that's one of the reasons they did it, but I, there's love in those performances. Believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> there is, and even the way they interact with the narrator is the way, it was just like on the show. Yeah. You know, they, well, Bo- Boris and Natasha had hatched, hatched a brilliantly devious plan, and they both look at the camera and in unison go, what? <laughs> and at one point... When he's when we're seeing one of those cartoon maps with the arrows moving, yeah, and uh, he's saying yes, but fortunately Boris and Natasha had no idea where our heroes, and they actually <laughs> yank the map out of his hands. And yeah, he goes, and he goes cheaters, and they look at the camera and go, "Thank you." <laughs> the, yeah, um, it's it's perfect. This goes but, back to your question of the did the writing feel, and I say yes. I'm going to add to the, my yes from before and say yes. There, oh, there, my fa- there, there's one scene in this that is my favorite. And I have to say, a lot of the scenes for me, I find annoying. Okay. The prison scene, the even the Wasamata Yu just seemed like a real uh, distraction. But there's this one little scene, which I think is so great, and that is Boris and Natasha have just lost Moose and Squirrel again. <laughs> they're at like a, a, hel- a plane rental place, and they're just defeated and sitting there. And... Natasha turns to Boris and has this wonderful monologue about how we've been trying to get them for 35 years and they don't even know our names. I love that because it's true, they don't. They don't. They never. It's always like, hey, you look familiar, but they don't know who they are. <laughs> they see them in almost every episode, but they don't know who they are. And it's you can just see that really bothers Natasha. And she just is saying to Boris, don't you want to give this up? You know, we could go back to Pottsylvania. <laughs> it starts out being really sentimental, but it stays true to the character because she's saying, you know, don't you want to have little Boris, little Natasha? We could teach them to lie, cheat, and be rotten. They would be monsters. They would be worse children ever. We could be so happy. It's like, that's perfect. And yeah. what I don't get is Boris doesn't want to do that. Why wouldn't he? For God's sakes, it's Rene Russo asking him to run away with her. Well, it's not Rene Russo. It's know, Natasha. It's and yeah, because I think she actually pulls some of that stuff occasionally in the original show, and he's not into it either. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, it would make the series, the show, it, the movie would then get too serious. It and would. Thankfully, I, they I, don't do that. The closest they, they get is Rocky going, oh, I can't fly anymore. And it's just, it's as much of a gimmick as they would use in the show. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it works. <laughs> it's fine. And because they don't take it too far, we don't actually get sad for Rocky. And also, to be fair, there's not an instance where we believe Rocky's not going to fly. No, of course so. not. It's oh. just, I really like that moment. I think yeah. that's my favorite part <laughs> well, of the movie. Especially when she says they don't even know our name. <laughs> and it's so true. Yes. Um, and they come back every week. Every week, Rocky and Bullwinkle <laughs> do some new adventure. And every week, the villain is <laughs> Boris and Natasha dressed up as someone 
else usually yeah, has? The, Hello, country bumpkin, it's me. <laughs> We're like, yes, they, they're, they're climbing a mountain. It's like, allow me to introduce myself. I am famed mountaineer, Sir Hillary Pushermoth. <laughs> they're just, he always had the greatest names. Like Crazy Legs Cowpuss. And they always <laughs> fall for it. Like, they oh, always. Sir Hillary. <laughs> I mean, Occasionally, Rocky will go. Hey, haven't we? Haven't I seen you somewhere? And, yeah, but they say they goes. say no, and that's it. <laughs> and they believe them. Yep, <laughs> straight and true. Eyes are blue. Um, it, yeah, they're great together. I was totally amazed. I really didn't expect that, and they were they were fun. They they really but, did. But speaking of other performances, we have. An amazing laundry list of cameos. Oh, I don't know if God. you were expecting any of these, but I was <laughs> really surprised by some of them. I mean, uh, they they go into court and the judge is Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. Um, they, we, oh, my well, favorite of those is they're pulled over by state troopers, one of whom is played by John Goodman. <laughs> and at one point when they're hauling away, the FBI says, I really am Agent Karen Sympathy. And he, and he says, yeah, and I'm really John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> Which he does. Uh, Carl Reiner Shows yes. up for reasons unknown to anybody. Gets one uh, line. Which is fine. Uh, Janine Garofalo, I just not, did not know, was in the movie. So she popped up and I'm like, yep. Janine Garofalo? Yeah, yep. Um There's, a, there's a, a, a cameo. I'm not sure if I'm absolutely correct because I don't know the actor's name, but I wonder if you caught. Did you catch Don No Soul Simmons? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Uh, uh, sorry, I thought you meant the actual. I was thinking that was the actor's name. No, no. David no. Allen Greer. Yeah, he's one of the presidents and. <laughs> Advisors, oh yeah, and the guy, the, ne- <laughs> the guy sitting next to him, I can never remember his name, but he's a character actor. He's been in everything. Oh yeah, same I didn't with know the that. same with President Sign Off. Yeah. I like the name. Uh, we get Jonathan Winters three times, three, three different characters. Yeah, we get Billy Crystal. Yes, we do. It was I was like, is that Billy Crystal? And I had to look. He's actually uncredited. So, and we actually get Don Novello. Did you now, spot him? I, well, he, I don't know who he is. The twin fruit vendors. Hey, it's a Rocky and Blue. That is Father Guido Sarducci. Oh, I've never seen yeah. him without his sunglasses. Yeah. Most people, Actually, what most I wrote down in my notes is that. like, is that the Coen brothers? <laughs> Which would have been even funnier. But, yeah. Well, that, yeah, except um, they're not, they, we're not twins. <laughs> we, uh, we don't get to see him, but we get uh, the music as done by Mark Mothersbaugh, who, of course, is from yep. Devo. Yep. Um, there's also a guy, it's not actually him, but I meant. I think he's meant to be dressed as him. At one point, they break into the uh, cockpit of a plane, and one of the pilots looks hauntingly like Peter Graves from Airplane. Oh, he is kind of done up that way. Yeah, but uh, it, it's, I was just like, who, how did all these people get it? Why are they I here? Don't, I don't know. They, they must either be huge fans, or they did it as a favor to De Niro. I, I don't know. I can totally believe Whoopi Goldberg being a big fan of Rocky and Bull. Oh, absolutely. That, that makes total sense. <laughs> I love the fact she's playing a judge and halfway through this, the trial. They, they put uh, Agent um, sympathy. Uh, sympathy on trial for not being her and all sorts of other things. And uh, at halfway through the trial, Bullwinkle is supposed to be for the defense, and he ends up indicting her for yeah. things she wasn't <laughs> even being put up for. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character just falls asleep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so, and I like um, her name is actually Judge Cameo. Yeah, uh, there's also a uh, a geographical cameo oh, which I wondered if you caught. Huh? What? The courthouse is actually the Gotham City Police Headquarters. Oh no, I missed that. Yes, and <laughs> I know because not only do I know the building, but I've been there. 
Um, it's still standing on the Warner lot. It's exactly, they repainted it for this, but they painted it back recently and it looks exactly the way it did in the 66 Batman TV show. Um, the weirdest (laughs) part is that it's much shorter than it looks like on TV. So, okay. Also one, one point, I think the water tower, uh, the first view of the water tower, I think is the Warner water tower, but later it's not. So I'm not sure on that one, but for those of you who are into geographical cameos. (laughs) For the the head of the FBI, Cappy Cappy von Trapp, as in or Cappy von Trappman. Cappy von Trappman. Yes, Cappy von Trappman, which is also your Captain von Trapp, but is of course we have a Quaid. Yes, (laughs) I don't remember Randy. Yeah, I think it's Randy Quaid, and honestly, he does a pretty good job of being a human cartoon himself, even though he's not supposed to be. Although his scene at the end when he's thanking Agent Sympathy, he does this weird maneuver, which I couldn't understand. He, like, hikes up his pants and Mm. and walks away. And it's like, that's creepy. Yeah, I don't, I didn't get that either. I don't know what that was doing there. So, So, yeah, yeah, this is loaded with cameos. Yeah, which was, I didn't expect, so. And Uh, uh, I kind of like the Minnesota joke, which is clearly... uh, when, yeah, you know where I'm going. Yes, when I do. Agent Sympathy befriends one of the guards, which she's actually sent to prison. Don't ask why. It really doesn't matter. No. Uh, yeah, Natasha calls in saying that uh, she she's stolen her truck. And of course, John Goodman says, and when she's saying, I'm, Car- I'm Agent Karen Sympathy, he says, we both know Agent Karen Sympathy has a heavy Pottsylvanian accent. <laughs> but she befriends one of the guards, this handsome young man named Oli. <laughs> that is his entire name. Now, this is a kind of Minnesota shout-out. Yes. There is a, a species of humor when I lived in the Midwest that you run into. And they are jokes. They are Oli and Sven, and sometimes Oli, Sven, and Lena, or whatever. And it's any any joke where people are supposed to be stupid. It's, you know, so Sven, how did you do that there, Oli? Oh, sure. And so I think that was a little shout out to that because Oli is quite clearly dumb as a bag of hammers. <laughs> they even say that at one point. Uh, yeah, yeah. Handsome but, uh, but simple-minded is. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of Piper Parabo as Karen Sympathy? I think she did as well as she could. I don't know her from anything else. The uh, only thing I can really say I know her from is Coyote Ugly. I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, she's fine. I, I don't think she was bad. I don't think she was great. She was fine. It's a tough role because, you know, A, you're acting most of the time with no, nobody next to you. Um, and most of the time, she's the straight man. Right. And that's, you know, usually a thankless job. Yeah. Uh, so she's fine. I You know, I don't think you can like the character too much because you're really more interested in, in everybody else. <laughs> so how about you? Uh, I, I thought she was okay. I just... I think the character was not very well written. And I thought it was that whole thing of the accepting the inner child part was really shoehorned in. I, I just thought it was weird. Yeah. Because um, you keep seeing this little girl in her eyeball screaming to get out, which on its own is, except for the inner child not being a thing in 1959, yeah. uh, it is fine. It's just, it was just kind of weird. Although we meet Oli. <laughs> Actually, yes. that scene I liked. There's one point where her inner child meets Oli's inner child, except they're still both inside them looking out through their eyes. But they're waving at each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so Oli is, just, is this, you know nearly white-haired blonde moppet you know looking exactly like somebody who would grow up into this and they're both waving and it's very cute and very strange and makes no sense yeah um which is fine which is fine so uh yeah this uh 
I don't know if I've got any more talking points. I, I had one other, and it was about, and this is sort of about the nature of the uh, the show as well. There's a lot of self awareness. There's a lot of metafiction in this movie. Right. Well, that do you goes think back there's the show. yeah, but do you think there was too much? Because the show used it pretty judiciously. They used it regularly, but here it's like every scene. Um, I don't think it's as often as you do, and I don't think it's overused. Um, I I honestly don't think you could have kept the pace without it. Um, I actually adore the fact we start off in cartoon land, um, and when the main characters leave, there's a scene with the narrator leaving home to go and narrate <laughs> this movie. Um, yep, so they yep. start pretty early with it. I don't. I didn't have a problem with it. I okay. have no no note about it. Obviously, you do. You think it was overused? I think it was a little bit overused. Can I, you I give not, me some not, examples? Uh, just. Even at the end, when it's changed its name from RBTV to Rocky and Bullwinkle TV, and Bullwinkle looks right at the camera and goes, what's the difference? There is so much talking to the camera, and there is so much, you know, we're, we, you know they get run over and they actually flatten out on the sidewalk. And, you know, I think this movie is getting a little, don't say it, a, fl- a little flat. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think they overdid it a little bit. But again, not enough to ruin it, just enough to sometimes get on my nerves. Uh, this, the Potsylvanians, you notice, do that very little. Boris and Natasha talk to the narrator occasionally, but it's not, I think they, ha- they did it a lot less. And I have to say, some of the Bullwinkle is so dumb jokes, those were kind of ham-handed. They were much more clever in the show. Not always. Uh, the show... <laughs> Especially first season, the show is a lot rougher than I think maybe you remember. Um, again, I own them all, so I've seen them, you know, even recently. Um, I was actually turned, I had YouTube running in the background. I was cooking the other day and I had Rocking Boy, and I was laughing. It's still funny. But the first season, they, they're doing, they're playing it a little more, I don't want to say seriously, but it's a little straighter than they do later on in, in subsequent seasons. Um, and they pull the, um, Bowenkill is so dumb stuff all the time. And it doesn't always work. Um, it's it's the case of anything. You know, we remember it being brilliant and wonderful and funny all the time. And it's Yeah, not. that may be part of it. That was, uh, I think, one of my... I did... I like this movie, but I have problems with it. And part of it is because I have this, I guess, idealized picture right. of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Because what I remember are the gags that really worked. I remember right. the re- you know, wrong way peach fuzz. And I remember yeah. <laughs> the... the, the <laughs> Peter Peach Fuzz. Peach Fuzz, excuse me. Peter Peach Fuzz, excuse me. And I I remember the metal munching moon mice. (laughs) (laughs) Who show up more than once, strangely enough. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where Hollywood's decided, okay, we're out of ideas. We need to recycle something what's left. Because Rocky and Bullwinkle, as popular as it was in its day, and it was popular, I don't think is one of those shows like Looney Tunes that people have been in constant, you know, barraged with, you know, it, there was a time I would say in the nineties, eighties and nineties where it just kind of went away. Um, it, it got brought back. I want to say uh, boomerang or somebody brought it back and it had a little really? resurgence again, but like growing up, I don't remember really watching it that much. It wasn't as big as the other stuff. Oh, it was for um, me. I watched it all the time when I was growing up. I remembered it, but it's like I don't remember it having 
the the continued popularity. Like people remembered it fondly, but I don't remember it being on TV twenty four seven like so much Hanna Barbera stuff was. Mm. Um, but it's it. So it's like like when they one of the other things they haven't yet tried to redo, which is Popeye. Um, there was a yes, was they a, did Robin Williams movie. <laughs> no, lately, because oh. you know they're going to. You know oh, they're going course. to. Oh boy, that was a. Oh. All right, so don't watch the Popeye film with Robin. If you love Robin even, Williams, yeah, don't Ro- see it. Even Robin Williams said that it's awful. Yeah. There's literally nothing to recommend that film. Zip. Um, but of the stuff that they have yet to redo currently. Um, Popeye got done. Gen- Gendy Tartakovsky did a three-minute short, which was really good, but they didn't let him do uh-huh. a movie. Um, and it's one of those characters that's been around, but people don't remember as well. And it's also one of the, we haven't done this yet. And I think that that's how this got made was, oh, uh, well, they did Casper, uh, um, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> and that's how it got done. And it's one of those things where you look at it, and I'm sure the people who were tasked with making this were like, oh, right, um... How are we going to do this? Uh, (laughs) And, of course, we get the second shot at this, which was uh, Peabody and Sherman, Mm -hmm. uh, which actually got made into a a TV show after that. They they continued it. When they redid Peabody and Sherman, they got everything wrong. They made it more of a... a, uh, drama they added daddy issues and they just they, yeah they tried to make it more character driven and the thing with peabody and sherman is it's not about peabody and sherman it's no, about what's a, going on around them yeah and they, they gave there's a love interest for sure it's like what huh yeah yeah he's it, a kid it really didn't work <laughs> and i nine. was not crazy about the live action attempts to do the jay ward show i tried to watch dudley do right that was terrible even though eric idol's in it yeah and I, I watched george of the jungle the original which is cute I didn't but, even watch that. Yeah, I see. I never I actually have never seen the original George of the Jungle. Oh, uh, that was. You never saw the cartoon? No, no. It was not on sh- on TV when I was a kid, so I never saw it. Yeah, I, I liked it. it. Again, it wasn't one of my favorites. I don't think I saw all the episodes, but it was. It had some fun bits. So I got to say, the people who are tasked with this, I I I have to give them credit for even taking it on because. It is one of those things where it's just like I don't know how you make this into something that today's audience will make or will like and you either have to fully change it to fit today's style of humor and referential stuff or you have to try to keep it as pure as possible well that's what that that brings us back to what we wanted to wait till the end how do how does this how does it work the adaptation compared to the old show compared to the attitude the writing how do you think this holds up the roundup what did i think yeah all right I watched the film last night. I put it on my computer and I sat back and watched it. It's like, oh dear gods, Rocky and Bullwinkle. This is gonna suck. Um, it was. I'm sure it was not a big success because we haven't seen another one. I didn't even. It, I didn't even remember they'd made this. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, no. It, uh, it, it like we said at the beginning, it pretty much tanked. I'm sure that when the previews came out, I was like, ugh, I'll put this on the shelf next to uh, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, which, Lord. Man, if you want to see a train wreck of a film, oh. that is like and five again, drinking games all on its own. Yeah, t- and talk about a colossal waste of talent. First off, I will say in answer to my own question, how do you make this into something relevant? The answer is you don't. Yeah. You can't. You can't take what was that moment of magic back in 1959 and make it work today. However, I watched this film last night with my notebook in my lap, 
and I laughed my ass off. <laughs> I really did. Now, do I think it's a great film? No. Do I want to go see this again anytime soon? Probably not. But you know what? I think they kept really close to the original flavor of the show. Some of the writing was just as, quote, bad, end quote, the way it was supposed to be. The puns were terrible. The acting is over the top in ways I really didn't expect. Um, the voices were good. The film, if anything, it's not, it's an hour and a half, and that includes 10 minutes worth of credits. And I, I think they could still have cut about 10, 15 minutes out of it, and it would have yeah. made it a little snappier. Yeah. But... I thought it was delightful. <laughs> I was like, Max and I are going to have words over this because I know he's not going to like this. But I laughed. Things made me laugh. It was funny. Uh, it's terrible and it's funny. You don't need to watch it. But I, for what they had to work with and the fact that they took something beloved and very much of its time and untranslatable, I think they did as best as you could possibly hope for. How about you? I, I don't... I. I don't think I. I think you were right. I didn't like it as much as you did. Um, I saw it when it came out. And, ah, yes. Yeah. Why do you keep doing these things to yourself? I don't know. I think usually it's it, these days. It's often like, well, there's nothing else I want to see. Mm. Uh, I love moments of this film. I again, I think Boris. I think the casting of Boris and Natasha is genius. I thought Jason Alexander and Rene Russo are one of the best things in the movie. Uh, De Niro is great. I think he's he's fine as fearless leader. It's just it's so jarring and so weird to see him this way. Uh, the, vo- the 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 voice acting was decent, although it it, it hurts to hear June Foray like that because you can hear the age in her voice, and it's kind of sad. But she still has the energy and the upbeat quality, and it's nice that she was still working up until the end. That's And see, that's I don't take it as sad, because it's like, man, she's still out there doing this thing that she's been doing for over Again, 50 it's the, years. Again, it's the thing with the childhood memories. It's, Rocky yeah. and Bullwinkle were a big part of my childhood. I loved them as kids, and I knew there was nothing they could do to make a movie that I would really just like as much as the show. I no. think they did a good... I, I do think they got the tone dead on and i think you're right they absolutely they didn't try to make it gritty they didn't try to make it you know (laughs) bullwinkle have daddy issues or rocky's got a drug problem or something horrible which is when i first saw it what i was terrified they were going to do they made it's rocky and bullwinkle doing rocky and bullwinkle just as they always did unfortunately that's kind of part of the problem because that's a humor and a style from a different time, and it doesn't. I don't think it works as well anymore. No, it doesn't. But um, that it, that said, there are good performances. There are parts that also make me laugh. I mean, when John Goodman does that, yeah, I'm and I'm really John Goodman, and some of it is delivery is his delivery. But that just makes me laugh out loud pretty much every time. I I was surprised at how much I laughed. I really did not expect to laugh and i just i was like okay there's one laugh well well okay there's two and i just i don't know and that's fine again it's it's not a great film i will never defend this film as being a great film um it was surprising um but hey go onto youtube it's free uh if you've got nothing to do, go and look up the original show. There's you can just watch little. They, I see people have compiled fractured fairy tales all together. Those are a lot of fun. Watch Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's, I think it is an innocent kind of humor that we can't do anymore. 
Um, and I think it's definitely, if, if, very, if, if nothing else, it brought that back to mind. And for people who haven't seen it, should go see it. Yeah. Um, but next week. Next week we move, uh, well, actually a little bit more modern, a little more a recent. More modern. Yep. Uh, this is a character and uh, a uh, show that I don't think either of us ever got into. That's right, Bumpy the Wonder Pony and his amazing friends. <laughs> That's right, yes, that, that travesty of a television show. I'll never so fit uh, Donald the Drunk Donkey, you know. <laughs> Stop it, it was, be nice to Bumpy. Didn't work. Yeah, so. Bumpy's our mascot. So you <laughs> he is not our mascot. About, yes, he is. You are, I so am not that dog's dada. <laughs> we have to be careful about next week's movie yeah. because it is based on a very, very popular cartoon show yep. called um, Sponge Somebody Square Something. Um, <laughs> I think it's Squeegee it's Boy. Specific... What? Squeegee Boy. <laughs> SpongeBob SquarePants. Yep. Who has been running for over 20 years at this point. Um, it is a specific movie because only one of the movies does SpongeBob eventually end up in the real world. For and it is SpongeBob yeah. Sponge Out of Water. Yep. And to fit our criteria, we have to have animation and real people. So we have SpongeBob, SquarePants, Sponge Out of Water. Um, I know nothing about SpongeBob. I have never watched a single episode. Max, have you? I've watched part of one. I think ah. that's it. And I've seen clips because everybody on the internet tends to integrate clips of SpongeBob into things for some reason. Right. Uh, so, no, I'm going in largely not knowing anything about it. And this isn't even this isn't even the first SpongeBob movie. I think it's the second one. Uh, what's that, Bumpy? Oh, Bumpy says it's his favorite show. Well, Bumpy should catch on fire and die. So <laughs> you're so mean to Bumpy. <laughs> he knows what he did. <laughs> oh, Bumpy! No, all over the floor. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why he lives with you and not me. <laughs> Oh, there's a good bumpy. There's a good bumpy. Next time, just knock at the door. Max Mike Movies is a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. <laughs>